Well, I hope you can uh, join my wife and I next Friday and Saturday as we also are a part of the Recharge event. The Davises are um, a couple that we had gone to school with. They're, they're nationally known for uh, their relationship development, especially that through Christ. And I can't wait till Friday and Saturday to be a part of that Recharge event. If you're saying, boy, I didn't sign up, but I really want to do it, in your chair rack is that information card, that communication card. Just sign up and just say, I want to be there. I'm going to be there. So we can have reference that you'll be there and put your name and a way to contact you. There are some things that we want to get in your hands beforehand. And uh, it's going to be a great evening on Friday and a wonderful morning on uh, Saturday morning. So join us. My schedule is open, which means I, I asked my wife, are we available? She said, yeah, we're available. And so we're going to be there. And I hope you can be there too and join in us on that. Okay, big question of the day. Are you ready? Big question. It is, what is the purpose of your life? Well, don't everybody respond at once now. Don't everybody respond at once. Here, maybe you can answer it like this. I'm living for what? You know, I'm surprised on how many people hesitate when they try to answer that and finish the sentence. I'm really, I mean, honestly, in the pastorate, I'm surprised the most when it comes down to asking Christian people what their purpose is and their silence. Like They don't know. Like I would expect it of someone outside of Christ, but those who are in Christ... I would expect that they have an immediate answer. And I know it's a struggle for some of you to, to answer that question, to finish that sentence. I, some, for some of you, it's like near impossible. You're like, I have no idea. Um, to complete that sentence is like an impossibility for you. But the world would say to define our purpose that we would start with our priorities. Here's what they would say. Your priorities are determined by your passions and your passions determine your purpose. So your priorities determine your passion and your passion determines your purpose. I say that's bunk. I don't think that's true. I think that's the way the world has taught us to think because your priority in life probably is a lot like mine. Like you go to work early and you stay late, but that doesn't mean it's your passion or purpose, right? Like how many of you, raise your hand, seriously, how many of you, your job is your purpose in life? Just a few, just a few of us, right? And so I would suggest that although you're spending all this time there and it's a huge priority in your calendar, that's probably not your purpose. It's just a, 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 a way to make, make money, a means to an end. And so it's a priority, but it's not your passion. School is a priority for some of you, but it's not your passion or your purpose. Entertainment might be a priority for some of you, but I think when it comes right down to it, it's not your purpose or your, your passion in life. God gives us a whole different way to look at this. I mean, that's the world's idea. Like, get your priorities, and, and your priorities are going to produce the passion. Your passion is going to produce your purpose. Voila, done. No, God says it's like this. It's you are to start with your purpose. Your purpose determines your passion. Uh-oh, because I just asked you what your purpose is. You're like, I don't know, crickets, crickets. Your purpose determines your passion. Your passion determines your priorities. Like you get your purpose right, your heartbeat starts for some things. You go, I really want to do this. And then you start lining up your schedule. Then you start saying, this is the priority of my day. This is the priority of my week. This is the priority of my life. This purpose that God set in front of me. And I think the reason why, just hear me out now, I think the reason why we go, boy, I wish priorities set purpose is because that's easier because when purpose sets priorities, that's harder because we have to go into God's word. And we have to flip the switch that we're default mode in. The default mode is self-gratification, right? The default mode is how do you please me? How can I get the most out of life? I get the most out of life. What's going to be in my best interest? And we got to change the default mode of selfishness to selflessness. And God says, if you just get in my word, just for a moment, if you get in my word, I'm going to share with you the meaning of life. I'm going to share with you your purpose. It's not very difficult. And by the way, friends, we have made this whole purpose thing a lot more difficult than it really, really is. 
Can I share with you, please, let me just, just take this in a general sense, what your purpose is if you're a believer. It's to know love and to show love. It's to know God who is love and to show that love to other people. It is not very complicated. Don't overcomplicate this. I think in your over, over, overly complicated ideas of, of what your purpose is, you've gotten so wringing of your hands on it that you go, I just don't know what it could possibly be. Let me just define it like this. The purpose of life is not about getting. The purpose of life is about giving. The purpose of life is not about success. The purpose of life is about serving. And you can't really understand. You, let me put it. You can't really. You won't understand life until you understand that. You are not going to understand life. Because our default mode is self-gratification. Our, our default mode is selfishness. And God says that's, that needs to change in our life if we really want to understand purpose. If we really understand what God has for us in life to do and to accomplish and where we can have meaning in this world. That's why at Bethany, here, here's our purpose statement. Here's why we exist. This is why we've written this into our, our purpose statement. is to exalt Jesus Christ so we can get out of ourselves and exalt someone else, exalt Jesus, so that every person will know God, live free. Here's what we're talking about today. Find purpose and be a difference maker. We think this is so elementary and, and the elements of that make us us that finding purpose is so important because once you find it, once you find purpose in life, you're going to have that passion and you're going to get your priorities straight. You ever heard someone say, man, my priorities are all out of whack. You ever heard that? You're going, yeah, I just said that this morning. My priorities are all out of whack. That's an indication that your life doesn't have much purpose because when there's purpose, there's passion. When there's passion, there is priorities that are made in line with that purpose. Let me tell you how to discover how to find that purpose. Are you ready? Are you ready? Whoa, not everybody at once. I mean, come on, you just sat here and said, I don't have purpose. I'm saying I got purpose for you. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay, there we go. We're doing better. <clears throat> Either that or I'll choke on my spit. <clears throat> it's to discover your identity. Just discover your identity. You're going, oh boy, here we go. That doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense to some of you because your identity has been found for too long in your circumstances. And my circumstances aren't the thing that identify me. Where you are is not who you are. Where you are is not who you are. You might be a product of your circumstances, but you don't have to be chained to your circumstances. What are they? What are circumstances? These are the things that are outside of my control, but still have control over me. The things that are outside of my control, the things that happen around me that I don't have anything control over, and I'm a product to these things. We're a product of these. Trauma, we're a product of trauma. We're a product of trouble, suffering, shame, shock, uh, pressures, pain, you name it. They've all shaped our life. We are a product of these things. And they've affected our life. They've affected our livelihood. But friends, those things are not your, your identity. Those things happen to you. Those things are a part of you. They've shaped you, but they are not you. Uh, catastrophes, failures, They've left indelible marks upon my life, but those are not the hallmarks of my life. Those are not the defining things of my life. See, the circumstances shape you, but they don't define you. And for too long, we've defined ourselves, we've identified ourselves by our circumstances. And there's a difference. Your identity is not found in your circumstances. You want to know where your identity is found? Your identity is found in Jesus Christ. And you'll never really understand life until you get a grip on that. That your identity is found in the one that has created you. Listen to how basic and simple it says it in Ephesians chapter 1. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. Could it be any more crystal clear than that? Hey, God, what's the purpose of life? God says, listen, in my word it tells you it's in Christ. You're going to find your identity. You'll find out who we are and what we're, what we're living for. Your identity is not found in what you do. 
Your identity is not found in your achievements. Your identity is not found in what you're going to do or what you are planning to do. Your identity is not determined about what other people have said about who you are. Your identity is found in Christ. Once you discover that, life will make a whole lot of sense to you. And life is not about finding yourself. It's about finding God. Because once you find God, you welcome Christ into your life, and he becomes the identity. He starts redefining you. He starts putting you on a mission. He starts making a purpose in your life. He's the one that starts giving you the passion. And with all those things, the priorities of your life begin to follow through. But I know how it works, because sometimes we get a little confused by this. Like Peter, Peter had to like put some Christians, early Christians back in line again, because they were so confused about where they fit into the world. They were trying to like walk a double life. They were trying to live in the world and trying to live in faith. And Peter says, listen, let me just tell you who you are for a moment. Because when you know who you are, you can finally discover your purpose in life. And so Peter says it to him like this. You guys are a chosen people. You're a royal priest. A nation, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. And I think from time to time, I think from time to time, we just forget who we are. And if you're a believer, if you're someone who has stepped out in faith in Jesus Christ, you need to be reminded of your identity. And I've discovered that my identity is not even based on what I say I am. My identity is based on who God says that I am. And who does God say that I am? Who does God say that you are? God says I am a new creation. God says I'm called a a holy. I am empowered by God's Holy Spirit. I'm forgiven. I'm free. I'm found. I'm saved. I'm secure. I'm safe. I'm not alone, I'm not ashamed, I'm not afraid, I am chosen by God, I'm called by God, I am worthy of God, I am gifted, I am a victor, and I'm not a victim, I am a royal person of the highest royal order, I am equipped for every good work, I am blessed and indeed a blessing to others, I have a home in heaven because I am a child of God, and if you're a child of God, you need to praise God about that kind of stuff and celebrate and say amen at least to that. Because you are a child of God if you have welcomed Jesus into your life. You are identified by who Jesus is, not by your circumstances, and not by even who others say you are or who you've even told yourself you are. You are identified by God. You start discovering your identity. You start discovering your purpose. And then the next thing is you need to decide to be a part of a family or not. You know the great thing about God is he has formed you because he wanted some kids. He wanted you to be the, the object of his love. So he adopted you. Jesus is like the adoption process. He's the adoption agency. You come to Jesus, you're adopted by God. But you can either opt in or you can opt out of that. Did you know? You can choose your family. That's good news to some of you because some of you didn't get to choose. You know, none of us got to choose our bloodline family, did we? Some of you are saying, I wish I did because I wouldn't have chosen them. I'm wondering if my parents have ever said, I wish I got to choose my kids because I wouldn't have chosen you. I wonder if that has ever crossed their mind at some time. But we didn't get to all have great biological families. I mean, there are no perfect parents, right? Like there's no perfect children. And the reason why God had formed you, he wanted you to know what real perfect love was. Not all of us know what love is even, even in imperfection. And God says, I want to show you that real perfect love. So here's what God did. He tells us in Ephesians, God decided in advance. Like before you were born, guys, God decided that he was going to welcome you into the family. He was going to start the adoption process for you. That means that you're welcome, right? He wants you. He doesn't need you. He wants you. That's a better feeling. 
God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through whom? Jesus Christ. You got to go through Jesus. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Like, you may have never thought about this, but you give God great pleasure. Like, he wants to open up his doors and say, you have a room here, I want to call you a son, you have all the rights and privileges of a son or a daughter, I, I, I want to adopt you, and you, you, you get to decide. You get to say, God, I don't want that, or God, I'm all for that. Because whether you are aware, like, you may have gone to another church, and your, your preacher never taught you this, you're, not everyone is a child of God. Like, whoa, 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 I've, I've always been taught everyone's a child of God. No, 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 we're, we're not all children of God. You've been created by God, you're loved by God, but we're not all children of God. You see, you have to decide if you want to be a child of God. You have to decide if you want to be adopted by God. Because you can, you can deny him all day long. You can opt out of it. You say, I don't want anything to do with it. That doesn't mean he doesn't love you. He's still going to love you. doesn't mean he didn't create you. He still created you. But you've got to decide for yourself, do I want to be a part of this family that God has put together? And if you decide that, here's what God says of you. You are no longer a foreigner. You're no longer strangers. You're fellow citizens with God's people. And what are we also? We're also members of his household. We're members of God's household. You're members of a forever family, which is great because your biological family is not going to be a forever family. You're going to be a part of brothers and sisters that are going to last forever, and they're going to be faith family. And some of you are looking around and going, wait a minute, wait a minute. minute. I got to be a brother with that guy? I got to be a sister with that guy? God says, yeah, as far as it determines, as far as it, as far as it depends on you, you need to live at peace with these people. Now look, I know there's a whole bunch of us here. If you, you, you tally up the whole congregation for three, there's a lot of people here. They're your brothers and sisters. Oh, but beyond that, whether you're aware of this, right? Because I have to be reminded of this a lot. The family goes outside of these walls. And there are brothers and sisters that churches marked and dotted all across the world. And God says, that's your brother, that's your sister. And you live at peace the best way you can with one another. Now, just like families, you know, biological families, we don't always get along together. God says, no, no, you can get along in the church. I've given you my power and my peace to do it. You can get along in the church. You can, you can make that happen. I just have to remember that this family extends way beyond this little congregation here, and it goes to something gigantic, the family of God. And God says, I have formed you all to be a part of this family. Just this last week, our missionaries from India came in, two of them, T.B. Paul and his son, Dr. Rajesh Paul, and they kind of surprised the office as they came in on that Thursday. They knocked on my door, and there's these two little Indian guys standing there, right? And so I'm like, TB, Rajesh! And uh, first thing out of TB's mouth was, Brother Matt! And he welcomed me in. Now listen, if there ever was a brother from another mother, it's TB Paul, okay? He is a brother from another mother, but you know what? We still have the same heavenly father, and that's the connection there. And regardless if he is all the way around the globe, there is an immediate connection with someone else who has the same father in heaven that I do. And it puts all these differences to rest. The church is a place where you belong because it's a place where God has called you to be a part of his family. And, and before you start knocking on the church and saying, boy, it's filled with a bunch of hypocrites, which, hey, by the way, it is, and we can always use one more, right? <laughs> the church is really formed for relationships, relationship with God, relationship with each other. But here's the fact. More and more, we are increasingly lonely, even though we are the more connected we have ever been. I read this uh, uh, study just this last week from UCLA. They did a study on the loneliest generation in history, so as they know, um, I immediately thought as I was reading that article, that must be talking about people like my grandparents and they're 85 and 90 years old who are living alone, maybe in nursing homes and 
uh, beside, you know, beside themselves because all their friends have passed away and family really has forgotten about them. But that wasn't true at all. You know what I found out? That the, the loneliest generation is in the United States? It's what's called Generation Z. It's the age group between 15 and 25 years old. 15 and 25 years old. The most connected generation in all of history. All these, all these friends on their social platforms. But here's what they discovered. They might have friends, but they don't have love. And, and maybe... Maybe it's been too much screen time and not enough face-to-face time. And what they found out was that loneliness is not about isolation. Loneliness is about feeling and being loved. And I can't think of a greater place than right here in this family, in the family of God, where you can be loved and learn how to love. That's why the church is important. That's why a part of being part of God's family is important, because you can learn love here and you can be Love here. Listen, this last week was hard on some folks in this congregation as a dear loved one passed away, Lana Spaulding, and just suddenly on Monday the news was heard and it swept over this congregation and this community. This community was rocked by that. And uh, we had a small group of women, and Lana was a part of that small group. Man, they were tore apart, just tore apart, deeply cut and wounded by it. And such a young woman, just, just to die, just so instantly and so that small group decided Monday night they're going to get together they're going to pray together they're going to talk together they're going to cry together they're going to share together they're going to rally together they're going to love one another the best way they can in their pain together and then from that little meeting that little holy huddle there God began to not just show them love and they began to show each other love they learned to love in a greater capacity so from that room they organized some things to do for others that were brokenhearted and distraught like they were and in their brokenness in their pain in their hurt they stepped out and they began to, to minister, to love on other people that were broken, hurt, and in pain because of that. And they saw past themselves, they identified with Christ, they knew they were part of a family, and they started reaching out to others. Friends, that's what the church is about. And as this church gets larger, we've got to find ways to get smaller, and the best way to do it is through small group. And let me tell you what church ain't. Church ain't just coming in here for one hour out of the week and thinking, I've checkmarked it off, I no longer feel guilty. Church is about community. It's about becoming the body, the family of Christ together for good or for bad. And there is no greater place that you're going to learn love than in a small group. Small groups are the laboratory of love. Listen, I'm a small group leader and I guarantee you not everybody in my small group likes their leader. I tell you that right now. And I'll tell you right now, I'm not going to name names. I don't like them all either. So fine, right back at you. But I'm going to learn to love them even though we are different in our approach to life. I'm going to learn to love them because God says, Matt, you can love them. I've given you a heart, I've empowered you to love them, and I've empowered them to love you back. You're going to learn to foster love. If you're not a part of a small group, I'm going to say this like as bluntly as I can say it. You're really not, you're really not living up to the expectation that God has of you as the church. You're not connecting. You need to connect with some Christian people, some faith friends, dig into the Word of God together, experience life together, pray for each other, hold each other accountable. And you're saying, well, I want, I want to be a part of a small group. That communication card, you checkmark it. I want to be in a small group. You put your name and your contact information, and this week we'll get a hold of you, and we'll get you plugged into a group that best fits you. I find my purpose when I discover my identities in Christ, when I discover also that I'm a part of God's family, and when I am determined to live like Jesus. Check this part out. You know, God wants his kids to grow up. I think it's the sad part of spirituality is many of us get paused on puberty, and we don't grow up in the faith. Like we're saved and we think that's enough, but God says, I don't want you just saved. Remember last week we talked about being sanctified. We need to be moving to become more like Christ with the help of Christ. 
And, and, and God tells us that we need to start thinking like Jesus. We need to start acting like Jesus, reacting like Jesus, talking like Jesus, loving like Jesus, leading like Jesus. And friends, there is no way you're going to be able to do that apart from this book right here. Philippians chapter 2, 5 says, In your lives, you must think and act like Christ Jesus. That's plain. I can understand that. In our lives, if we really want to live out purpose, we need to start acting and thinking and living like Christ Jesus. And friends, this book is the thing that tells us how. It shouldn't just be coming from the pastor's mouth to your ears so it can land on your heart. It needs to be spoken to you every single day by God himself. And it's this book that hopefully when you're born again into God's family, you begin to sip on this book for spiritual nourishment. Jesus started one of his sermons out in the book of Matthew 5, and he said, blessed are those who are hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Like if you're someone in here who says, I want to be right, I want to be more like Jesus, and I want to be someone that really is living for Christ, that's a hunger and thirst for righteousness. God says, you will be filled, and here's the way to do it. This is the spiritual nutrients that I hold in my hand here, and apart from it, you're not going to know God. Apart from it, you're not going to know how to model your life after Jesus and set your life to the, the compass of Christ. You ever seen those somber pictures of babies who are impoverished in countries uh, and they're just suffering from malnutrition? Maybe it's like a third world country and their stomachs are bloated, their faces are hollow, their eyes are sunken in, the flies are swarming around them. You would think that those starving children would be like so hungry. But I've been told by those oh, workers that come in for relief, that when they, they round those children up and they start to feed them, those children no longer have an appetite. They've been starving for so long, they've, they've lost the urge to eat. So they have to start them on a liquid diet and then graduate them up to small morsels of food. And what they discovered is a lack of appetite is actually a, a sign of a severe illness. There are some of uh, just mature Christians. Well, I shouldn't even say mature. There's some Christians in here who have been in, in the faith for a very long time, but you're still immature. And you haven't been feasting on the word of God. Friends, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And that's, that's how I feel. I can lead you to the water, but I can't make you drink. The only thing I can do is I can put salt in your oats. I can get you encouraged to read this word and to say, without it, my life is dead. Without it, my life is purposeless. Without it... I'll never become really like Christ. And a lack of appetite on your part is really a, a sign of a severe illness. And that's why the scripture teaches over and over and over again. Like newborn babes, let's crave some spiritual milk. Like, let's just start with a few drops so that by it you may grow up in the salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. I like what Hebrews chapter 5 has to say to us. It says, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. Like some of you have been in the faith so long. The writer of Hebrews says you really should be teaching this stuff, but you can't teach this stuff because you don't know this stuff because you haven't been into this stuff. You haven't digested it. He says you need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Did you catch that? Solid food is good. Why? Because they've trained themselves to distinguish what? Good from evil. Some of you are wondering why you're still caught up as a Christian into sin and entangled by it. And, and, and I would concede that it's because maybe you're not digesting this book and let it become a part of you. Because when you do, it will train you to distinguish what is good and what is evil. 
And as we mature into Christ, our appetite should change for greater things. Listen, if your 16-year-old came to you and they said for dinner they wanted milk and Gerber baby food, wouldn't you think something was amiss? I would. And as Christians, we need to have a greater appetite for the solid food of our faith. And this book is so important to us because this is where we find the model of Jesus and correct our compass of life towards Christ. That's why this book is important. Outside of it, there is no purpose for it. Because it's in this book that has the answers to overcome addiction, forgive past abuses, transform attitudes, dealing with temptation, endure painful experiences, how to develop an in-depth relationship with others and with God, how to know God, to find his will and find his purpose, how to develop holiness and prepare for the Lord's return, and how to live like Christ. It's all found in this book, and to neglect it is to say, I don't want the purpose that God has for my life. All right, so i got to find my identity. It's in Christ. I need to recognize I'm formed for a family. I'm going to be a part of the church for good or for bad. And I'm determined to live like Jesus. And here's a fourth thing. I have to recognize I'm designed to serve. I've got, I got two hands to work. I, I, I've been designed to serve. God created you to make a difference. Now, this is something we're going to talk about a whole lot next week. That we are called to be difference makers. You've got it in you. When the Spirit of God is in you, you've got it in you to make a difference every place you go. You know, in the book of Job, that guy was tormented and tested by some awful plagues in life and some terrible disasters that came his way and wiped out his family. There is everybody, anybody, I'd rather, on the face of the earth that could complain to God, it was Job. And he started out that way. His friends wanted him just to curse God and to die, and Job said, you know what? There's got to be something more to this world than the things I've put all my investments into. And he finally looked to heaven and he said, God, you know what you've done to me? You have shaped me and you have made me. You have shaped me, and you have made me. Job was saying, God, you have shaped me to serve others. And God, maybe the things that I have put into my life that I thought were so important really weren't important at all. Maybe the most important thing here is to serve you, and by serving you is to serve others. And Job kind of laid out this unique idea of that we're designed as someone special. And here's the idea that we're shaped, that you got some spiritual gifts. You know, every believer in here has some spiritual gifts. They're all different. We all have different gifts. You got some spiritual gifts that make you you. You have a heart, which is a passion, that make you you. You have abilities that make you you, a personality. You're getting the idea, right? Make you you. Some experiences that make you you. Your shape is unique. It's different than my shape. And you've been shaped to serve. The things that God's put into your life, he has uniquely created you so that you can do something uniquely special, something different than I do, something that is of your own doing with God's empowerment. See, God has created you to serve rather than to seek your own status. And here's what I know about a servant. A servant is one that looks for how God can mold their character rather than to create more comfort in their world. I think that's where some of us get off of track a little bit. We look for comfort rather than the character development. God says, boy, it's, it's going to get pressed into you. It's going to be tough to mold into you the character of Christ. If you're just someone that's looking for comfort as a Christian, you're not going to really find your design, designed way in which you're going to serve. You know, I know there's some barriers that we've got to climb over to be servants here. I know there's some barriers that we've got to climb over to understand that God has uniquely designed us to serve. And when you, when you find your unique design, man, it's going to give you the greatest purpose in life. But you've got to climb over some things. Like, number one, you've got to climb over self-centeredness. Just like this idea that life revolves around me. I love how the message puts uh, Philippians 2. It says, forget yourself long enough to lend a hand and help others. 
Like, can you put yourself out of your head for just for a moment so you can help somebody? That means when the need is right in front of you, meet the need. That means when the opportunity to serve someone is there, you take the opportunity to serve. That means when you're compelled or drawn into do a ministry, you start the ministry and you get involved with it. I love Proverbs chapter 2. Never tell your neighbors to wait until tomorrow if you can help them now. Guilty. Guilty. Like, can we just do this tomorrow? Can we just push this thing off? No, their need is now. Their need is now. Like, I think maybe someone else will take care of it if I just give enough time to it. No, they came to you because you have the right shape. Your need is now. Their need is now. And they came to you because you have the right spiritual giftedness or the right, the right abilities or because you have the right experiences or personality. Tell your, never tell your neighbors to wait until tomorrow if you can help them right now. But self-centeredness says, no, we can, we can wait. Your need is not that important. Maybe there's a barrier you have to climb over, perfectionism. You ever heard someone say, if you can't do it first class, you shouldn't do it at all? Well, if that's the case, nothing in my life should be done, okay? The only time I've ever flown first class is when the airline has made a mistake. That was the only time that's ever happened. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, Solomon says, if you wait for perfect conditions, what will happen? Nothing will happen. You'll never get anything done. That's true, right? I've been told that when my kids were young, like, oh, man, that is so hard. That is so difficult. Well, one day you'll get your life back, right? Well, my kids are older now. They're getting older. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. I thought I was going to get my life back the older they got. No, no, life is crazier now the older they've got. You never told me that, people. You should have told me that when they were younger. Like, you're like, oh, how you need it. Oh, they're so precious, little babies. You never said, yeah, they're precious. But, man, when they get older, they, these puppies turn into dogs. And they get taught. They are. You wait for perfect conditions, no, nothing, listen, you wait for your schedule to get clear up, to start serving the Lord, it ain't going to happen. If you're waiting for the right amount of money to come your way until you start uh, you know, bringing an offering to the Lord, it's not going to happen. It's just never going to get perfect conditions. There's always going to be rain in the forecast. And you have to keep that in mind. That there's never going to be something perfect in your life or heaven. You just need to step out and do it because God's called you to do it. So, Get over the barrier of perfection. Get over the barrier of materialism. Look at how Jesus talked about this. He had strong language about greed. He said, beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. But we act like it is. More cars, greater garage space. Uh, what's, what's tied up at the dock down by the lake? And we can get so preoccupied with our possessions that we lose the passion for people. We can get so preoccupied with our possessions that we lose our passion for people. Beware. Guard against every kind of greed because what greed does is it puts the focus on ourselves and takes the focus off of others. You were designed to serve. And if you're not serving, you will never fill that purpose in your life, especially if you're just on self-gratification mode. Discover your identity. It's Christ. Decide to become a part of a family. That's the church. Determined to live like Jesus. And know that you're designed to serve. And here's the last thing. Be driven to achieve the mission. You were made for a mission. You know, it's a, it's a hairy mission. It's a, an, an audacious mission. It's nearly impossible. I'll give you that. Here's how Jesus explained the mission to us. It's the go and gather mission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Now, that's, that's impossible. Go into all the world, guys. And you make sure that every single one of them becomes believers in Jesus. Some of you can't win your, your spouse over to the Lord. Some of you can't win your children over the Lord. And now God's calling you to go into all the world and to 
and to baptize all people? It seems so huge and lofty and great and impossible. And God says it's a giant mission. But you can accomplish it if, if you rely on my power. You know, we've wrapped our mission as a congregation up around God's mission to us. And we've kind of boiled it down to language like this. We say our mission at Bethany is to get lost people saved, saved people pastored, pastored people trained, trained people mobilized, and mobilized to reach lost people. And that's our, that's our mission here. And that mission has a message for as many people who are loved into the kingdom by just by love, works of compassion, there's going to have to be some audible approach where people are going to say, would you tell me about the hope that you have in Jesus Christ? You're going to have to learn to be an evangelist, a, a teller of good news, how Christ has taken you from A to B, from, from bad to good, from good to great, from great to godly. How has God done that in your life? People want to hear about it. When you're driven to achieve a mission, you're going to find purpose that will last a lifestyle. Some of you are driven by our series a couple, couple uh, series ago about who's your one. You are so driven to get people into this room to hear a gospel message because it landed on your heart. You were driven by that. And though the mission was big, you went out and you risked some things because that person was valuable to you and the mission was great and you became a man on a mission and it was accomplishable to many of you. you know, you're not alone in this. We're not alone in this go and gather stuff. We're not alone as we go out. We have each other and we have the spirit of God within us. And God has placed this on us because he knew that we could accomplish the mission with his power and us doing this together. A couple summers ago, I visited Normandy with my, with my family. Um, uh, we looked out from like this bombed out bunker that the Germans uh, were defending the coastline in, and we just kind of thought about the wave of allied troops who invaded on D-Day, and we visited Utah Beach and many of the other beaches and pointed to the hawk that you see there in front of you, which was a famous battle as uh, Lieutenant Colonel James Rudder led the Rudder Rangers up the cliffs on rope ladders, which was like a death mission if you know the story, uh, 225 plus rangers went up the cliff, uh, only 90 uh, continued on to fight. The rest were either dead or wounded. And uh, it was a strategic point as they got up because they thought they could have an element of surprise, but the machine gun nests of the Germans were uh, pointed and fixed right on that position, and it was nearly a suicide mission for them, but they didn't stop. They climbed those ladders, and they made it to the top, and they overtook the punkers, and they drove the Germans back away from the shoreline. They climbed those cliffs, and it made me wonder as we stood there in the bunker as a family, what drives men to near death? What drives them to a place where they say, I'll take on the mission even though it's large, and it just means certain death for me. Well, those men took on that mission because it was greater than themselves. They knew. They knew that there was going to be something greater that could be accomplished if they just put aside their, their selfishness and became selfless. And they became mission-minded, and they thought beyond themselves, and they took on that hairy, audacious mission, and it gave them a ton of meaning to storm the beaches, to climb the ladders, to take the fire of the machine guns and to push back the enemy. 
those men discovered what I hope you've discovered here today. That life without meaning is meaningless. And life, life without purpose means you don't have a mission to achieve. And God gives you a great mission. And he says, it's something that I want you to be a part of. Your identity is in Christ. You were formed for his family. You were created to do some amazing things. And you should be driven to achieve the mission. You see, your purpose determines your passion. Your passion will determine your priorities. Your purpose is to find Jesus, to love God, and to love others. I hope if you didn't get anything out of this message today, you've recognized that without Christ in your life, all things are meaningless. Can we pray together? Father, I, I'm at, I've, just, I've been praying that we just get the needle moved a little bit, just a little bit in our lives. That you just get us off of the self-centered stuff, get us into thinking about serving others, loving on you, rather than loving ourselves. I know when we get there, we'll find the most fulfilling things in life. We'll find meaning and purpose. It's rich with reward when we live for you and surrender to you. I pray that for these folks in here. That the needle is moving, that they're surrendering to you. And they're finding meaning in your son Jesus. And for those who haven't taken a step of faith, who haven't made Jesus their savior, I pray that you compel them today to come to you, that they're drawn to you. Father, like your word says, now you're the way, you find truth in life. In Jesus, I pray they find truth and life in you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, would you stand with me and our worship team today? And if you want to start on this journey of purpose, you need to meet up with Jesus. If you haven't met up with Jesus, if you haven't welcomed him into your life, I'd love to talk to you. Be pastors like me, just right over here to the left of the stage. We'll be here through this song and through the end of the service. But maybe you have something to pray about. And maybe part of your faith tradition is coming forward. And and praying, these steps are here for you to pray and to kneel and pray out to the Lord. And maybe you're someone here today that says, just I'm not feeling it right now to go forward, but God's doing something in my heart. Take that communication card, put your name down on it. And you write in there what's going on in your life, and we're going to hold you tomorrow about the commitment that you're making today.